Welcome to Channel Waves, the podcast where channel leaders share success strategies, best practices, and emerging trends. Brought to you by Structured Web. Here's your host, Stephen Kellum. Welcome everyone to Channel Waves, Structured Web's view into everything channel. I'm your host, Stephen Kellum. And today, we're going to do things a little different. We're going to have a feel-good podcast. We're going to talk about how you thrive in today's channel. And I think that's really important based on everything we've gone through in the past. And we're joined today by Trisha Atchison, who is VP Global Partner of America Marketing uh, for Equinix. So welcome, Trisha. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to have you. So everybody, we had talked for a while, a couple of weeks ago, wow, maybe it had been a couple months ago, about, about what to land on and how to share what Trisha's learned, and maybe I can weigh in a thing or two. And we came up with how to be a good student of, of, the, of the business. And and what are the things that you need to do to to really to really thrive? I think um, being a student of the business is probably one of the most important things I have learned um, <clears throat> over the many years <laughs> of, of doing this. So, um, and you know, it takes on I would say different forms. Sometimes I think sometimes maybe you don't even realize you're being a student of the business, but. Um, things are changing rapidly, right? And I think probably more now than ever, it's really, really important to to know what's changing around you and be in tune to that. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and we're going to talk about AI, which is what everybody's talking about as we get through this. But Trisha and I both thought that if we started off with AI, we were never going to get anything else, right? So right. we came up with five things to go through. And we're going to walk through those five. And they are sales and marketing alignment, which I think is really key. Uh, ongoing self-education. I think you mentioned that a little bit. How do you really become a student of, of the business? Uh, creating programs that have value. And I think that's kind of basic. And I think in all the technology that comes out, sometimes we forget about the value of the of the programs. Um, CX to PX, which is one of my favorite, right? How is the B2B to C affecting B2B? And then we're going to end it up with AI and digital transformation because I think that is like something we could talk about for quite some time. long time. A long yeah, time. Exactly. Um, but yeah, let's start with sales and marketing alignment. That's near and dear to me because I've been a CMO, I've been a head of sales, I've been a I'm a CRO. And I think to me, they're all merging together. And the question is, you know, can you make it seamless? Yeah. So I think um I think sales and marketing alignment. So I've sort of prided myself throughout my career on being able to align back to sales. And probably when I was doing it early in my career, I didn't really realize how valuable it was or how important it was. And now for the role that I'm in, right, running America's marketing, running global partner marketing, <clears throat> it's really important that you are aligned to your sales counterparts. You have to understand their business. You have to understand their priorities. Because if you don't, then the programs you're building, they might work. You might get lucky, right? or they may not work. But what I have found over the years is the better you can be a student of their business and understand what they're trying to achieve and what their objectives are, and then building programs in alignment with that, um, it helps you both win, right? And I think, you know, gone are the days where marketing can have a green scorecard and sales does not. Like everybody has to have that green scorecard. And the way you get to that, right, is by by being super aligned and spending time with your sales counterparts and really understanding their business. Um, what are some of the challenges that you face? It's not, it's easy to say that. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes it doesn't always work out so well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think from a challenge standpoint, so um, I think sometimes um, I've seen that um, sometimes you have sales leaders that don't value marketing or they think that marketing is maybe just an execution arm, right? So like, hey, I want to do this event. Can you just execute this event? Um, we all know that um, people love events, but they're an expensive way sometimes to go to market and don't always yield the results that you're looking for. So I think sometimes understanding the functions can be a challenge, right? Because I think um, marketing is just viewed as in service to sales and then maybe they don't value um, what marketing can bring to the table. Um, I think sometimes marketing and sales objectives are not in alignment. So I've worked in organizations where um, they didn't necessarily line up in what one organization was being asked to do versus the other organization. And when you have that misalignment, right? Then you start to um, you start to have problems in terms of what you're driving to, and so um, I do think that it takes diligence. Um, it takes um, from the marketing standpoint. I think you have to really put yourself out there to say, like, you know, I I want to be aligned to your business. And of course, marketing is going to sometimes have other objectives that are not just in service to sales. But if you can work through both pieces of that and kind of bring that back together. Um, I think that you'll find that you do better. So I do agree. Sometimes it can be challenging. Um, you know, they they say, I think in everything, it comes back to relationships. There is a big element of building relationships and building trust in terms of working with your sales counterparts because they are driving to a number. They are under a lot of pressure and they want to make sure that, um, you know, that, that they're getting the most from all of the people that are kind of in service to them as well. So um, I, I kind of always go back to the relationships because I feel like if you can build strong relationships and build that trust with them, that when you go to them to say, hey, this isn't the best program or, hey, let's try this program, they might be a little more open to what you're trying to do with them. Yeah, I, you know, I totally agree. And from historically, I come from a sales background and then moved into marketing. I think the interesting thing for me was the first time I said that with someone and we really looked at the whole pipeline and we looked at from awareness all the way to close and went you know, where does sales and how does marketing play in each one of them? I think the good thing for us, and now I guess I consider myself more of a marketer, um, is I don't think marketing's ever been more valuable, never has been more valuable than it is to sales right now, all the way down the funnel. And the best salespeople that I know today are leveraging marketing for absolutely everything, right? From from the very top of the funnel to the very bottom and, and, and work well together. 100%, 100%. And in the roles where I've been most successful. It's where I had sales leaders that actually valued what marketing was bringing to the table. Um, a couple of jobs ago, I had a sales leader that we would literally like draw on the board marketing contribution and where we thought the pipeline was coming from. And um, it was actually, it was kind of a lot of fun, right? Because then you were thinking about how you were building your programs to get to that number to make sure that sales was getting to where they needed to be. And so um, I agree. Like, I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there, um, but not not everybody, right, kind of goes into it thinking that way in terms of, you know, how how can sales and marketing better align? So, no, I agree. I think there's a great opportunity out there for it. Uh, I remember the first QBR I was in where the head of sales brought in marketing for the whole QBR and made sure that marketing understood everything that sales was going through and then made sure that sales knew where marketing was contributing. 
I, once again, I think it all, all starts at the top, right? And I think that is the leadership and that is the trust side, right? I agree. I agree. And that's when, I, that's when and how I've seen it work the best as well is, again, it all comes back to, are you a student of the business? Do you know where the challenges are? Are you building programs that are going to help align to um, what you're trying to achieve? And to me, that's actually kind of the fun part, right? Because if you're just executing on activities, that's not very interesting. No, it's not. But I think that is a nice segue into ongoing self-education and understanding what is best practices and what is happening out there and what are channel sales leaders doing or just sales leaders in general, right? You can take channel out of this for, for a moment, right? Is ubiquitous wherever, whatever indirect or direct channel is, how are, how are they tied together? And taking a look at that and seeing what's best practices in marketing, seeing what's practices from sales perspective. Yeah, I agree. And I think that um, things are changing rapidly, right? And I mean, we'll talk about that probably with AI too. But, um, you know, how, what was best practice or what worked, right? We went through a pandemic. Hey, like nobody was doing in-person events. So right. like what's working now, right? And, um, you know, during the pandemic, I think we, um, both with our partners and with our sales teams, we proved out that, um you know, you don't always have to have an in-person event to be successful, right? There's a whole world of digital out there. Um, and there's a lot of things that you can do actually pretty interesting from a digital standpoint. Um, gone are the days, I think, where people do kind of these massive, you know, they call them spray and pray, but these massive campaigns, right, where you're just like, can I catch anybody? Now it's how can I be targeted? How am I using data to help me, right? And so, it, like it's evolving. And I think um, there's so much information out there. Like sometimes I'll be working on something and I think, huh, like I wonder, I wonder like what's changed on that. So I'll start to Google stuff. I will reach out to my peers in the industry. Obviously, I participate in some different forums. And so, um, you know, and those people are great people to go back to and say, like, how are you dealing with this? Or are you seeing this? Like in my last role, I kept getting request to do through our MDF program to do a proof of concept for partners. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, there's all sorts of weird implications from a compliance standpoint. And so I went back and I started researching like who is doing this and how are they doing it? And a couple of my peers in the industry that I texted said, nope, don't do it. I was like, okay, interesting. Right. And so I think having places you can go that are trusted sources of information are really, really important and being motivated to go find that information because whether it's um, how people are doing events or whether it's how they're doing digital marketing or um, ABM is a big topic, even in the partner realm, ABM is becoming a big topic, right? ABM alone means like 50 different things to 50 different people. And so um, to me, that is kind of the fun part is how this is evolving and continuing to learn because some of the things that you know, you might be working on are very different from what it looked like even three to five years ago. And then if you, I recently stepped into this new role at Equinix. So if you step then into a new role, into a new company, they do things differently, right? And they may have a different customer base or a different customer segment that they care about, or they might, you know, focus on different verticals. And so um, you just have to be constantly learning because the stuff is all going too fast. No, it is. And by the way, I agree with you. The connections, I think, are the biggest thing. Every time I do a roundtable, a marketing roundtable, or every time I do um, some of the things at Rod Baptist, right, when we do those breakout mm -hmm. sessions, to me, the biggest thing, and I tell people, is look across the room 
because these are the people that you can lean on. And I, I in this small community, there's just no reason why you shouldn't, right? I, it's, I, I've never been involved in an industry more where people are willing to connect and help than, I, than I've seen in the past 10 years or so. Yeah, I was going to say, I, they are always willing to help, right? If you're um, working on a strategy around marketplaces, right? That's new for a lot of companies, but there are a few folks out there who have done a pretty good job of trying to embrace that and figure that out. And they're willing to share with you, right? I agree. Like some of those industry conferences, um, you you are amongst your peers. And I can remember years ago, I was invited um, to uh, kind of like a round table um, of my peers. And I was like, well, this is interesting. Like, is anybody going to talk in this? Oh my gosh. First of all, we all had the same issues. Like no matter whether you're talking about MDF, like or program levels, whatever you were talking about, we all were experiencing the same challenges and everybody was willing to share because here's the thing. There's so much nuance once you get back into your company that it's not even going to look like whatever somebody else is doing anyway. So I think that I think the channel is unique um, and working with partners and that um, we're sometimes a little more willing to share best practices and some of our struggles just because um, in some regard, if we all do it well, we all kind of win from doing it well together. So I don't know. That's been kind of interesting for me because I don't I don't know that that's true in all industries. <laughs> I, I, it's not. So, and I can say this wholeheartedly, right? I think in the technology space, it's very unique and anybody listening out there, they should appreciate and take advantage of that because I've worked in the automobile, I've worked in uh, fields outside of it, uh, heavy manufacturing, uh, it's different. It, it yeah. people are very, very tight lipped in those conferences. So I think it's one of the coolest things there and anybody who's not connected should, should figure out how to do that. Completely agree. And that's a good segue into the next one. One of the things we talk a lot about is how to build programs that have value. And I'm really interested that POC you talked about an MDF, and it's one of the biggest challenges out there. How do you build a how do you build a unique MDF program that actually has value to partners? I kind of like the POC. It's kind of interesting that you said that because it has a natural appeal to me, having been a former partner, but I understand some of the challenges there. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, you know, partner programs are another area, right? Like this, um, this whole podcast is tied to how things are evolving, right? Partner programs are evolving. I think over the last few years, you have seen some of the larger vendors um, change their programs a lot. I think some have been wildly successful. I think others have struggled. Um, I think what what vendors are trying to get to is how do we reward for the things that we value, right? Because there's certain things that we value within our ecosystem. Um, but I also think that um, partners are dealing with a lot of different vendors and they're looking for return, right? They want to know that if they're going to invest, whether it's putting their people through enablement, sometimes programs charge people to be on them, whatever, right? They want to recognize that return. Um, they're looking for simplicity, right? Because, um, I mean, MDF is a great example. They're trying to deal with five or 10 or 100 or 150, right? Different MDF programs. And so when everybody thinks they're clever and try like have some kind of nuance and it makes um, our partners a little crazy. The other thing I've seen recently too is I was just reading an article that was talking about there's a lot of partners that are actually looking to add new vendors 
Um, and I, I feel like that's not always the case. Like, I feel like there's, you know, certain years or certain times where partners are pretty content with the set of vendors that they have, and they're not always willing to bring on new vendors because it's expensive for them. So I found that a little bit curious, right? That, um, and this may tie to the fact that, um, one technology is evolving Two, I think partners are also having to evolve, right, their businesses. And so um, if you think that there's a set of partners out there that are actually looking to add to their portfolio, then, you know, what it, what are they going to evaluate you on? And one is definitely going to be simplicity, but one is also going to be like, am I going to get a good return for the investment that I'm making? Because it is expensive for partners to bring on a new vendor. Yeah, no question about it. And I think that ties into the uh, PX to CX, or really CX to PX, sorry. The other way around, CX to PX, right? <laughs> That'd be pretty bad if we went PX to CX, but CX to PX. And I think the simplicity side to it, I, I go back to you said about an MDF side of things. When I was a partner, there was a Fortune 100 company that had an MDF program that I would have had to hire someone full-time to manage. It was just so- A lot of vendors do. Yeah, or like her stare. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, remember, the I wrote guidelines that read like they hated me and didn't want me to act. <laughs> you laugh about that. I, I tell people, so I've lived it. It's so painful. Like, and it's getting worse with compliance. So I don't. I'm not sure that's getting better. But yeah, it, it is getting worse with compliance. But still, there is font that looks like a contract, and there's font that looks like something that you, this is marketing. That it's two partner marketing. There's font that says, "I like you." I know that sounds really weird. When you when you look at a website, you decide in less than a second whether you like it. When you look at a page, you go, is this legalese or is this someone talking to me who's truly my partner? And That's once right. again, I want to do it. And then you start to go, oh my gosh, here's what you start to think, I think. You start to think, I'm not going to return on this because this is going to be a ton of work. I'm going to be going through all this sort of stuff and they're not actually paying attention to what's important to me. And then they don't like where I put my logo. So now they're not going to pay me or whatever craziness ensues. And it's interesting, right? Because one of the things that I think is really quite interesting in the partner world is how technology has evolved, right? And so, you know, when I started this partner stuff years and years ago, right, there were like maybe one tool and everything else was homegrown. And part of what's been interesting, I think over the last several years is because the technology has evolved so much, vendors are struggling with like kind of their homegrown solutions and making the leap into technology that's been developed that actually works well and makes it easy for our partners, right? And so, you know, you don't have to have these MDF tools and education systems and stuff that make no sense that were never written for partners to begin with you can actually work with a vendor, right? To come up with what works exactly for your business. And it makes the experience for your partners amazing, right? And one of the things I always say to people is you need to be clear on your requirements for what you're trying to do with your partner ecosystem and then let the vendor come along with their expertise, right? a structured web and work very closely with you in realizing that vision. Like it's a very, um, I don't know, it's a very cool time to be working on some of this, right? Because um, I can tell you when I grew up in this partner world, we did not have those tools. And every time something in the company was rolled out, it was never for partner. It was always for, you know, direct sales or whatever. 
Um, and now like there's so many interesting things and it can be so beneficial to your partner community because they can track real time, like what's going on with their rebates or what's going on with their MDF or how are they performing on, you know, their enablement, right? There's like all these really cool things. Um, and so I think that like having the experience of your partners in mind as part of your overall program, right? Simplicity is important, but the experience is important, right? Because to your point, who wants to read a contract that sounds like they're yelling at you? Like you're, you want to say like, you're super important to our business and we're going to treat you as if you really are a partner to us, right? In terms of how we work together. No, I, I think if you think of everything in terms of two partner marketing and four partner marketing, the two partner side includes a contract. You can make guidelines with nice images and make some yeah. Be, feel like it's successful, right? And, and that's just, just just on that side. But I think that you're right. This all ties to CX and PX. And I remember when single pane of glass used to be this vision like 10 years ago. Oh my God, you had an MDF, you had a rebate. Maybe you were lucky if you had rebates that were done um, well. And then you had incentives and maybe you had a PRM and they were all all over the place. And I think today the expectation, I think this is a CX and PX, is a single place, a single pane of glass. And I think not only is it important visually to get the partners going. But I think then the data becomes something both for you and for the partners that you can actually leverage, right? Oh, and I think that the data is what's so powerful, right? Because that's then where you start to see um, where the opportunity is, how one of the things we talk about um, is, you know, understanding like how you fit into the partner, right? So you know, you may think like, hey, I'm doing great and I'm like successful with this partner, but really you're only a tiny, like you've only tapped into a tiny fraction of what they're capable of, right? And so the more you can use data to drive that conversation and how you engage um, with your partners, I think it's really, really powerful. And, um, you know, one of the things I love about my new role is my company is very focused on data science and um, data intelligence. And so back to that conversation around how you're targeted and how you're going to market, um, I feel like we do it the best of any place I've ever worked. Um, and, you know, that you can have that with your partner ecosystem too, right? And so it helps you as a vendor be smarter in terms of where you're investing and who you're working with, but it also helps your partner in terms of recognizing the opportunity because sometimes they may not realize until you go back to them to say like, you know, do you see like we could be adding on to this? There's an opportunity here, right? Like data helps you do all of that. And in this day and age, we should be using that for sure. No, I totally agree. And I think that ties into the last one, uh, the AI, right? So generative AI. So what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's interesting. Um, I have, I, you know, that conversation around AI is coming around. Like I've listened to some podcasts on it, right? There's a part of me that's like slightly terrified because it could be a little bit <laughs> scary. Um, but, you know, part of what I think about is what is, so AI is going to maybe help some people do their jobs better. And, that, you know, and I maybe, I don't know if people are worried about it may take some jobs. But what I was thinking about when I was thinking about AI is it's also going to impact business, meaning, you know, like if I'm a partner, I would start to think about like, 
is AI going to generate more data, right? So does that mean people are going to maybe need more storage? Does it change how we think about security, right? Because, um, you know, people are already flipped out about how some of this works out anyway, right? And so um, I, I was trying to think about it more from a business implication in terms of how it actually can help businesses, right? Versus, um, I, I think I think people are a little afraid of it. Like, and listening, in one of the podcasts I listened to, it's like, is this going to be used for good or is it going to be used for evil? And like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And my thing is like, well, it's coming and it's kind of here to stay. So I I would say let's not fear it, right? Like, let's figure out how we embrace it. But I actually kind of view it in a different light in that I think it's going to create opportunity because um, it it is going to be part of how we operate, but it is also going to do things like generate more data. And so we are going to have to figure out how to manage to all of that. So I think I would say I view it more as an opportunity. Um, and I think we probably still, speaking of being a student of the business, still have a lot to learn in terms of what we do with AI. No, I agree with you. I, I think of it in a couple of ways as well. I love the idea you're already talking about. How do you make a practice out of that? Sorry. I'm an optimist. <laughs> I always look right? at things. And, you know, I think it becomes, it's how you live your life. I don't know about you. Yeah. Every time there's been a change in my life, 95% of it's always been for the good. And there's something right. that, you know, look, that we we can't control. But it, it's coming and it's here. And I'm an optimist. And same thing. Maybe that's, I go back to my inner partner. You know, hmm, that's a really cool practice. When all the security issues come up, okay, that's a really cool practice. That's right. Uh, cloud came up. Okay, that's a really cool practice. Uh, when you know AI comes up, someone is going to need to have to be the expert in how to understand all of this. And I think it's a huge opportunity for the partners that do embrace it to become experts. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, it, it, especially I'm an old managed service provider. That's what I was, right? So <laughs> I think of building a relationship with a customer from my clients for 100 to 500 people, right? The S&P yep. market. And they needed somebody that could help them on the technology side. And right. what, a, what a great opportunity. And they still do, right? I mean, the, the biggest, I would say, opportunity in terms of customer segment is definitely that mid-market commercial SMB, whatever your companies refer to it, right? Obviously, enterprise, there's tons of opportunity. So I'm not saying that, but I, I think it's that sweet spot where um, particularly for our partners, right, to be able to step in and really help um, these companies think about, again, future trends and what's coming and how it's going to impact their business. So um, I, I'm with you. I think it'll be an opportunity. And I'm like, you're, I think we should embrace it versus fearing it. And um, I think we might be surprised what we see kind of on the other side from some of it, for sure. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, Tricia, thank you. It's been a great 20 minutes or so. Um, any last words of wisdom you'd like to throw out there? Um, I would first just say thank you for having me. This was a lot of fun. And um, I guess I would go back to where we began, and that is always be learning and always try to be a student of the business because, um, you know, AI is what's on tap right now, but who knows what's going to come behind that. So there'll be more exciting things for us to embrace and, and learn. Okay, and I'm going to wrap it up with going back to what you said. I think relationships and having other people to go to, and especially in times of growth, things like AI are are so important. So what's the best way for people to get connected with you? Speaking of connected. Um, 
speaking of connecting, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am Trisha Atchison, so super easy to find, and um, I'd be happy to connect with you. All right. Once again, thank you, Trisha, for joining us. Thank you, listeners, for joining us today. Have a great day, everybody.